The preach word this morning will come from Galatians 3, 10 through 14. So if you guys would turn there if you have a Bible. Um, if you don't, there's, there should be a, a Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, and if, if you don't have one, you can uh, go ahead and take that, and that's yours to keep. So turn to Galatians 3, 10 through 14. This is God's word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. Christmas Eve, 1971, a woman by the name of Julianne Kupka boarded a flight with her mother. She was, Julianne Kupka was 17 years old at the time. Her and her mother were on their way to meet their father in the Peruvian jungle. And they boarded flight uh, Lanza, a, a Lanza flight. And on their way to Peru, there was a thunderstorm and a lightning bolt struck the plane struck one of the plane's engines and the plane as it was flying began to fall out of the air and as it was falling out of the air the plane disintegrated Julianne 17 years old at the time was thrown from the plane still strapped to her seat She fell some 10,000 feet, two miles into the Peruvian jungle. Julianne survived that fall with a broken collarbone, a bruised eye that was swollen shut, and she was concussed. She came to the next day and began to see that there was no other survivors on the plane. Out of the 93 93 passengers on that plane, she was the only one to survive. She spent nine days traveling downstream, found a stream and traveled downstream, fighting off infection, fighting off the, 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 the dangers of the Peruvian jungle until where she was able to get to civilization and survived. Julianne Kupka today is alive. You hear a story like that and you say, Julianne fought to live. She, she defied the, the odds of death. She, she, she was put in a situation where she had to fight to survive. She had to fight to live. Our our world is filled with stories like this, is it not? 
Stories of extraordinary people fighting, uh, uh, defying death. They're, they're faced with death and they, they, they are defying death by fighting to live. It's that moment where the adrenaline kicks in and, and one is overcome with seemingly superhuman strength. A burst of speed uh, or clarity of thought. Everything in them fights to live. Our text this morning has to do, has to do with life. But oh, how different. Oh, how different is the Christian life. Oh, how, how the Christian finds life is so foreign to us. It's different. It reminds us that the gospel is not man-made. For man would have never drew up the gospel this way. Christianity. Christianity is about life. Let's establish that. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, John says, In him, in who, in Christ, was Life and the life was the light of men. As we read Jesus all throughout the Gospels, we understand, we come to the realization that Jesus was about life. He wanted to bring life to dead situations, to dead people. Matthew 7 and 14, for the the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. How about John 10.10? The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is about life. Christianity is always about life. That is the reason for Paul's insistence. That is why there is no let up in his argument against the the Judaizers and his insistence that the, the Galatians not follow these men who were leading them astray. He wants to continue to fight. He wants to continue to, to press this argument home, hammering home the foolishness of seeking to be justified by works of the law. Remember how he began, he began chapter three, this, this portion of the letter. He called the Galatians foolish, foolish, asking questions that would, would cause them to realize just how ridiculous it would be for them to disregard grace and to now find their righteousness from following the law. Paul asked them a series of questions interrogating them. Questions like, if the Spirit begun the work in you, do you now think it is up to you to perfect this work that the Spirit began? Or God worked miracles among you, and do you think that those miracles were worked in you according to the law? He then appeals to to Abraham and and says, how do you think Abraham was saved? Abraham's 
faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul wants to continue with this theme of contrasting works of the law with faith. And so he picks up the argument in in verse 10. He says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul wants to make it clear that if the Galatians are seeking to be right with God by keeping the law, by doing good deeds, by following the rules and the regulation and these traditions that these Jews were insisting that they follow, for them to do that would be a waste of their time. Because all who rely on the law are under a curse. They stand condemned. They are deserving of God's wrath, deserving of his punishment, namely death. Paul is not, Paul is not pulling this, this thinking out of Nowhere. He wants to ground the Galatians in the word of God. Just like his appeal to Abraham, that Abraham was justified by faith alone in Christ alone. He appeals to the word of God, signifying that this is the way it has always been. It has always been faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, alone. He says, here's the deal, Galatians. If you want to live by your ability to keep the law, then you need to understand what the law requires of you. God was clear when he gave the law that it was to be followed perfectly to a T. So, so Paul, he appeals to Deuteronomy 27 and 26, where we find these words. Cursed be everyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. God expected his people, when he gave them the law, to follow it perfectly, to be holy as he is holy. This was a covenant. This was a covenant that God made with his people. And if they followed these commands to a T perfectly, then there would be blessings. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, We see all of these blessings that would come to the people if they followed the law perfectly. They would be blessed in the field. They would be blessed in the city. They would be blessed when they go in and when they come out. You know that song, right? Blessed in the field, blessed in the city, blessed. You all don't know the song, (laughs) right? That's where they get this, this from. It was if they followed the law perfectly, then they would be blessed. But, but to depart from the law, 
even one millimeter to depart from the law meant that there would be curses. We find this in Deuteronomy 15, says that curses would come upon you. Keep the law, blessings. But you have to keep it perfectly. Don't keep the law, depart from it even one millimeter, and then curses. Did the people keep the law of God perfectly? No. No, they didn't. Why didn't they keep the law of God perfectly? Because they were sinners. Do you keep the law perfectly? Are you able to keep it fully, perfectly, 24-7, 365 days of the year? Are you? No. Why are you not able to do that? Because you are a sinner. That is the curse that is on the people of God. All those who rely on works of the law to be right with God are under a curse. This is what Paul is trying to get at. If you are trying to keep the law, it is a futile task. If you are relying on your goodness or how well you keep the commands to get you into the presence of holy God, don't you see that you already blew that chance? You blew it. To try and find your justification before God by keeping the law now is only to continue to heap curses upon you. You're going to die trying to keep the law. No one is able to keep the law perfectly. Brothers and sisters, this is why behavior modification is not salvation. This is why. If your testimony is simply, I stop doing this and I stop doing that, I now no longer gossip, I now no longer drink, I now no longer smoke, I no longer, I now no longer uh, um, um, gossip. If if that's if that's your only testimony and there is there is no Christ and you are only talking about what you now do, then I, I pray now and I. And I read my Bible now and I, and I go to church. If you have no Christ, brothers and sisters, I must tell you that you are still under a curse. That's works of the law. If you are relying on that for your right standing before God, you are under a curse. You remember, you remember the rich young ruler, don't you? In Luke, in Luke chapter 18, the, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells this young ruler that he should keep the commands. Do not commit adultery, right? He goes on and lists the commands and, and the young man says, All of those I have kept 
from my youth. Now, if I'm Jesus and this man comes up to me and essentially says that he is perfect, I'm laughing in his face and going on about my business because that's exactly what he said. He comes up to the one who is without sin and he says to him, I am without sin. And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor and come follow me. And Jesus says, tells them that he went away distraught because he had too many riches. He broke the law, brothers and sisters. He broke the law. He couldn't keep it perfectly. He didn't love the Lord his God with all of his heart and with all of his strength and with all of his mind perfectly. To break the law even in one commandment is to break all of them, James tells us. Brothers and sisters, the deck is stacked. It's against us. The deck is stacked. You can't find your justification in the law because as soon as you say, I'm going to start relying on the law, on my good works, on my commandment keeping, it's already too late. That, that, that ship has sailed. You can't go back and undo the sin that you already committed. You, you need to live a perfect life. We are born under a curse and you can't keep it. No way, no how. Here's the mistake. Here's the mistake many people make. They hear a message like this and they assume, they assume that the law is bad. You go home and saying that the the preacher said, I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments and, and I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to go to church anymore because if I do, then I will be under a curse. Please don't say that. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Please understand, brothers and sisters, that is not what this text is saying. It is not saying that the law is a curse. Don't ever look at this. Don't ever look at this text and think that the law is bad. The law is God's law. It's good. The law is good. And like the psalmist David, we we want to delight in the law of the Lord. We, we want to meditate on it day and night. We want to follow and live in light of it. But don't ever, ever, ever rely on it for your right standing before God. Yes. Yes, follow the commandments. Yes, keep them. Yes, follow the statutes of God. Yes, pray. Yes, read your Bible every day and you will grow, grow, grow like the song says. But don't ever, don't ever rely on it for your justification. The song doesn't say read your Bible, pray every day and you'll be righteous, righteous, righteous. Doesn't even sound right. 
Don't ever, don't ever rely on your works. Works to to be justified, to be made right with God. We don't rely on the law to make us right with God. For all that will come from it is death. You will die trying to keep the law. You can't do it. But if Christianity is about life, how does one live? If you have come face to face with the fact that you are a sinner, that you stand condemned before a holy God, and you know that you are deserving of his wrath, you know that you need to do something to to be restored again, you're wondering, what do I do? How can I fight to live? What can I do to make myself right with God? You know, this is the attitude of a fallen, sinful mind. This, this is that, 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 that fight to live that we saw in Julianne Kupka. Death, I see it, and I want to fight to live it. I want to fight against it. I want to fight to live. Brothers and sisters, for the Christian This is the attitude that Satan would desire us to have. It is this thinking. It is this thinking that is countercultural to Christianity. It's what makes the gospel so countercultural. It's what separates biblical Christianity from other world religions. We are so accustomed to doing something. We, we want to fight to live. We see death and we want to fight to live. We want to know what we can do. I want to fight. I want to fight to live. That is my natural response. That is my human response. I see death and I want to flee it. I want to fight it. I want to, I want to run from it. And then how do I live? How do I live? Paul has an answer for you. In verse 11, he says, now that we have established that you cannot keep the law by yourself, now that that we've established that, he says, this is so counter-cultural, this is so counter-human logic, counter-religious statement. It is a truth. It is a truth that is so simple, it is hard to grasp. It's so simple, it's hard to grasp. That's why it doesn't doesn't seem like it makes sense. He says this, the righteous, the right ones, the righteous, those accepted before God in his sight shall live by God. Faith. Brothers and sisters, that right there is amazing. That is amazing. That right there is countercultural. 
It's counter to, to every human logic that we have. If you have even one ounce, one ounce of reverence for the holiness, for the goodness, for the purity, for the awesomeness of God, that statement right there will stop you dead in your tracks. Or it stopped Martin Luther dead in his tracks. Here, Martin Luther knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a sinner and that there was a holy and a righteous and a good and a pure, perfect and a pure God that he had no business being in his presence. Martin Luther knew that he was indebted. He spent all of his days trying to work and work his way up to God, beating his his body, pleading with the Lord. He would would fight sin and and seem to defeat a sin, and and then another one would show up. Isn't that true in our own lives? That we see there's a sin that we're dealing with and we know that we have to deal with it and we do. And then all of a sudden another one pops right up. God demands perfection. Martin Luther knew that he was a sinner. And when he came to this verse, it stopped him in his tracks. The righteous will live not by works, the righteous will live by faith. Oh, but Paul once again does not come up with this on his own. He, he grounds them once again. He grounds the Galatians in the word. For he gets this from Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 2, 4, behold, his, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. For the prophet was was, was telling God about how evil the Babylonians were. He's, He's trying to figure out why are they prospering? Why have they come up against Jerusalem? And God answers the prophet and he says, it's not, your, it's not your wisdom that's going to save you. It's, it's faith that will save you. The, the righteous shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, this is so foreign to us. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense. That is why we behave as though we are saved by grace and then live as though it depends on our works. It is so foreign. I have to be able to do something. I have to do something if I'm going to live. Brothers and sisters, the deck is stacked. It's stacked. You can't win. However, if you want to live, the only way to live is by trusting. Is by trusting. You can either die trying to fulfill the law or you can live trusting in Christ alone. It's like, it's like quicksand. 
Anybody ever been stuck in quicksand? Me neither. But I've heard, I've heard that if you are ever in quicksand, the way to survive quicksand is not to keep on fighting. The the more you fight, the deeper you sink. You, You are fighting to your death. To survive quicksand is to relax, is to lay back. And wait for somebody to come and save you. (laughs) Oh, brothers and sisters. That's faith. We don't fight to live. We we trust to live. That is counter-cultural. That is so foreign to us. It's by faith alone. In Christ alone. That we are saved, not by our works. But here's the mistake that too many of us make. It's common. It is not our faith that saves us per se. It is where that faith is placed that allows us to live. Faith is never without an object. Faith is always belief into something. I trust in something. It's not faith in faith. So the righteous don't live by faith in faith. You live by faith in Christ. You live by faith in his work. Paul goes on to outline for the Galatians why the the countercultural truth of of faith alone in Christ alone is how we live. Paul says that that the curse, the curse came as a result of disobedience to the law. But that curse, that curse did not go away. It did not just, it did not just disappear. Although we are saved by faith, it just doesn't disappear. There was a wrong committed. God said that his law was to be obeyed perfectly. And those who broke it were deserving of his curse. They were deserving of death. The reason The reason you Galatians live is not because of the law, but because of what you have been redeemed from, that you've been redeemed from the curse of it. Redeemed, bought, rescued, ransomed, saved, snatched from condemnation of the law's demands. Not only the law's demands, But sin and death, you have been ransomed and rescued from sin and death. You no longer live under the curse of the law. In fact, you are now recipients of God's blessings. Treated as though, listen, treated as though you kept the law perfectly. No longer under a curse, but treated as though you followed every single 
command that God gave in the scriptures perfectly. That is how God sees you. That is amazing. But this ransom, this rescue did not come without a cost. It came at a price. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. We are redeemed. We are rescued. We are ransomed from the curse of the law because Christ became a curse for us. Oh, I am not sure there is a way to say the gospel in fewer words. Christ, Christ for us. Christ in our stead. It is, it is what the, the theologians refer to as penal substitution or substitutionary atonement. Someone had to pay for the curse of the law. In order to satisfy the justice and wrath of God, someone had to die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9.22 says. So the curse, the curse that was due us was placed on Jesus. He stood in our stead. He bore our iniquities. The punishment or the curse that was due us was placed on him. You know, we tend to think often when we think of this, this substitutionary atonement, we, we reflect a lot on how God sees us now. And we should. And we should reflect on that. We're treated as though we kept the law perfectly. God, God no longer sees our sins, but he sees Christ and, and, and his, his perfect righteousness. But do you understand that in order for that to happen, that, that the curse that was due us had to be placed on on Christ so that when God looked at his son on the cross, he saw every sin that was ever committed by his children. He saw a murderer. He saw an adulterer. He saw a liar. He saw a stealer. He saw a thief. He saw, he saw, he saw all of humanity's sins on his son. That's what it means for Christ to be in our place. The curse was placed upon him and we get his righteousness. Oh, that's, that's why the songwriter says, blame, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Oh, it's, it's a glorious, it's a glorious thought. Romans 3, 23 through 25, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus became a cursed, damned, condemned for us. And once again, Paul grounds him in the scriptures. He's not coming up with this on his own. For his reference here is to Deuteronomy 21 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Paul, in appealing to this text in Deuteronomy, is reminding us that the death of Jesus on the cross was indeed the curse of God. He was bearing that curse for us. Not only did his work on the cross bear our curse, it brought us blessings. No longer under the curse, but it brings us blessings. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, we receive the blessing of Holy Spirit. Oh, that statement is jam-packed with so much truth. It is jam-packed with so many blessings. You who were once cursed now receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. It should cause you to rejoice. It should cause you to have joy. That's, that's perhaps what the, what the hymn writer, what the writer to Joy to the World had in mind. Joy to the world. Isaac Watts wrote the, the song that we sing at Christmas time. But there's a verse that we probably don't often think about. We, we glance over it. But one of the verses in Joy to the World says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Where? Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And how do we receive that blessing? How does that blessing come to us? It doesn't come by your works. It comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And we receive the blessings. I I hear that statement that, that we receive the promised, the promised Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I read that and it takes my mind to Ephesians chapter one, 
where we find all of the blessings that come to those who are in Christ Jesus. There are so many blessings. We, we are chosen. We, we are adopted in Christ. We are, we are redeemed. We are restored. We are forgiven. All of those blessings come to us in Christ. And then we read this in verse 11. In him you have obtained an inheritance. And a glorious, a glorious inheritance in the heaven set aside for you, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We get all of those blessings, chosen, redeemed, restored, forgiven. We get the love of God adopted into his family. And you know what seals that? You know what seals that? Holy Spirit seals that. And the Bible tells us that we who were once under a curse now receive the blessings, the blessings of God through your works? No. Through you cleaning yourself up? Through your keeping of the Ten Commandments perfectly? Your Bible reading, your church attendance, how you treat your wife or your children, how you perform at work. No, we don't get those blessings from our works. They come to us through faith in Jesus Christ. The blessings that were promised to Abraham come to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You want to know how to live, brothers and sisters? Oh, to live. You live by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's only two ways. You can either die trying to keep the law, and I can guarantee you, you are going to fail because you can't do it perfectly. Or, or you can live. You can live trusting. Trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Trust in him and in him alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.